Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. Today, I talk to Casey Allen, who has acquired his first two businesses in the last year and a half, both of them online businesses. It was a great conversation with Casey. We jump all over the place, touch on a bunch of different topics, which is the hallmark of a good conversation, I think. We talk about the two businesses he's acquired, of course, but also the state of the market for digital businesses, how much things have changed for digital business acquisition in just the last two years, why content businesses can be so much more powerful than e-commerce businesses, what he would recommend to new acquisition entrepreneurs, and much more. Casey's path reminds me of my own path, although he's further along. He started a few businesses himself with some success, and gradually over a few years, it dawned on him that buying a business is a lot better than starting from scratch. And so far, that has proven correct with his, with his two acquisitions. Anyway, here he is, Casey Allen. Casey Allen, thank you for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to chat. You've acquired two digital businesses, uh, an e-commerce business of specialty brewing equipment for mm -hmm. specialty coffee brewing equipment and a content business, but not a content business in, in the way we understand the phrase today where it's product reviews based on you know an affiliate business model. This right. is a 24-year-old website, a math teacher who helps kind of high school level math students solve math problems. Do I have that right? Yeah. And it's, it's really, I would say it even starts in kind of late middle school up through, you know, intermediate and middle college, um, okay. from a, from a course and kind of category perspective. Okay. Well, this, I, I'm so intrigued by that business because it's a 24 year old business. So 1997, we're talking one web 1.0 or even 0 0.5. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it just reminds me of high school. It's, it's really cool. This website's survived this long and you are the, you are the proud new owner. So we're going to get into that, but why don't we start before diving into the businesses on you? Give us one or two minutes on, you know, your, your professional bio and what led you to be on this path of acquisition entrepreneurship? Yeah, sure. And I'll, I'll try to be brief because it is kind of a long and winding road. Um, <laughs> as I'm sure most, uh, most have kind of a similar path, but, yeah. um, yeah. So I, I started out in management consulting focused in healthcare, um, in the healthcare industry and mostly on the tech side. So kind of supporting the consulting side with software and kind of went through several companies and ended up at a startup that as an early employee that was then acquired and then acquired again uh, by PE. So I got to see kind of from the inside, you know, the acquisition process of private equity coming in and then, you know, their playbook being delivered and, and kind of being formed and, and being a part of all of that, which was really interesting and, and kind of got my mind going initially about like, this is an interesting concept. I started a lot of businesses, gone through that process of you know, really going from zero to one and realize like that is just a real grind. And at the same time, my wife was going to school at um, Northwestern um, to get her MBA. And one of the part of her curriculum was an, an entrepreneurship through acquisition course. And so, you know, she was seeing me, you know, spend countless nights through, you know, through the evening, like fulfilling uh, e-commerce orders and was like, why are you, you know, 
like, this seems really hard. Why don't you just buy a business Yeah, since you like entrepreneurship? And at the time, I, you know, and, and in the curriculum, it was really oriented around like hard industries um, or I, sh- I should say traditional industries like, you know, car washes, laundry mats, like everything you kind of hear of sure. as an acquisition target. Non-digital and stuff. Exactly. And so I just kind of shrugged off like, well, that's not really for me. I don't you know. I don't know what I would do in one of those businesses um, or how to run one even. So fast forward four years down the road, another acquisition at the company I was working at kind of then gave me this window to say like, okay, what's next for me um, as a career? And that's how I started to go down the rabbit hole. And I, I don't know what um, really triggered it or kind of what you know, what, what was the point in time where I was like, Oh, maybe I should explore this more. But, but I just started kind of leaning more and more towards the direction of acquisition as a better avenue for running a business and growing a business than having to, you know, go back into the startup mode of, you know, grind it out. I think it was more just, I didn't want to feel that pain again um, and have to go through that process. I'd rather. Even though you had, you had been, you had had some successes. Yeah. You sold the subscription box for less than you should have, according, according to you, but it was still, you, you, you did take something from zero to one. And then it sounds like the product, the community product management manager community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, was kind of a, a smaller success. So you, so you, you weren't, yeah. I mean, I've talked to people who tried and tried and tried for years to start something and nothing went anywhere. And you, your, your track record was certainly better than that, but you still felt a little disillusioned by starting from absolute scratch. Uh, yeah, not disillusioned necessarily, just, um, exhausted, I think, <laughs> anything. And then, you know, having worked at a startup, which also is just, you know, a, a big grind, um, for everybody in the organization as you kind of march towards and really push to, to that exit. So that combined with doing my own thing, I just, you know, I was ready to step into something that I had existing revenue and profit and I could, you know, through using my expertise, be able to, you know, just grow it in a reasonable and responsible manner using the cash flow that it turned off. So that appealed yeah. to me more than, you know, trying to get to that critical mass point where it was throwing off enough cash to sustain itself and the growth that, you know, needed to come. So, so you, you saw the merits of what your wife had told you about four years ago, but in, but in your mind, you applied that to digital businesses rather than a car wash or a plumbing business. All right, great. So, so you you arrive at the the interest in or the decision to acquire a business, yeah. and and so your first acquisition was baristawarrior.com, mm-hmm. correct? So tell us tell us that story quickly. Yeah, so uh, that's also an interesting long story because uh, we acquired it. We went under LOI pre COVID, and then. Yeah, we went under LOI in November of um, 2019 after having kind of looked at a lot of businesses and realizing prior to that, you know, um, I think I started my search for a business mid to earlier Q2 in 2019. And then finally found Barista Warrior late um, 2019, put it under LOI. Where, where were you looking, Casey? Like on MicroQuire and, and Empire Flippers and the usual, the usual yeah. ones? Yep. And honestly, I don't think micro choir existed then, or, or if it did, it was like very yeah. small. And so, yeah. um, it was, yeah, it was like quiet light, which I ended up, um, finding the barista way on and then, um, yeah, acquisition or, um, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, empire flippers and kind of the, the standard set of, of online marketplaces in biz by sell, just looking for digital stuff there. So put it under LOI, we were supposed to close the first week of March. But the, our lender 
had been dragging their feet. We slipped by a week. And in that week timeframe, the U S went under lockdown, uh, COVID oh. hit the U S and the credit markets and everybody else kind of just froze. And we're like, Oh yeah. crap, what's going to happen now? You know, we don't, you know, nobody knew what was on the other side of kind of that fence. So we, that elongated the, the timeline a lot, ended up switching lenders to get it moving again. And but you, finally, you yourself weren't spooked by the world turning upside down. You still wanted to plow ahead with this acquisition. Yeah. So at first that was definitely like, Oh crap. Like, do we walk away from this? Um, and so it was really a return to the fundamentals of what we liked about the business and what we thought the dynamics would be kind of post COVID, you know, that's always looking into a crystal ball, but, and we had the luxury of the credit market still being frozen the bank still like not knowing what's, what's going to happen because they're waiting on the government to tell them what's going to happen. And so, cause we were using SBA. So, uh, so we had some time between March and when we closed to see how some of it would play out. And it was clear, you know, a month into uh, the pandemic in the U S that, that, you know, everybody was at home. And so for us selling coffee equipment that you use to brew coffee at home, that was a boon. And, and so, totally. I mean, you, you, know, you went from thinking like, man, should I pull out of this to like a few yeah. weeks later being like, wow, I might have just happened into the most COVID friendly business <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> possible. Ever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so in that time frame, and, and the seller was really scared as well, right? Like he was like, oh crap, like we were just about to close and now the buyer's going to walk away. And so he and I were, you know, in constant communication. Um, but, but in the meantime, the business was starting to, you know, ramp up pretty significantly. And uh, and then he was faced with a different kind of dilemma, which was like, well, it's worth more now than it was, you know, when I listed it. Yeah. And so, you know, so he walked away, we pulled him back in. Um, How, can and, you tell us what the premium was from pre COVID to during COVID where that he wanted to see the price move? Yeah. It, it, it essentially doubled the business. Wow. Um, oh, it, it doubled the revenue the trailing 12 and the trailing SDE. Yeah. And so yeah, did so he we, want double the price? Yeah, essentially. Um, wow. and so we talked it through and, you know, essentially came to, uh, an agreement that like, okay, this is, you know, you have three months of kind of post pandemic. This is great. But again, you know, getting a little longer tail, people aren't going to work. You know, people are, 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 you know, are, are staying home who knows from a macro perspective, what's that, what that's going to have to just the buying power of, you know, consumers, yeah. you know, another three months from now, or even yeah. six months or nine months. And so we talked through that and uh, ended up putting that premium in a, a, a seller note that was tied to performance. So it, it was almost structured as an earnout, but was not an earnout on paper, if that makes sense. Um, so, he, so the seller can SBA. benefit in the upside if this, yep. if, if this, if these strong, really super strong sales continue, they'll benefit. And exactly. if not, your risk is covered because we you, capped don't, you capped how yep. much you're going to actually have to pay over the, over the term. Yep, exactly. Nice. And so, yeah. And so that's what brought him back to the table. Um, that's what brought us back to the table. And we ended up closing on the business in the end of June and then operated it, you know, I've been operating it since. And, and, you know, it, it was a boon. 2020 was, um, incredible. We saw, you know, incredible revenue numbers, incredible margin expansion, 
uh, and ended up, you know, he ended up, and, and so I think it was a win-win. He ended up getting his premium very quick, fairly quickly due to the, just the gains we saw towards Q4. And, you know, we saw a, a tremendous boom in the business. And how has it been so far this year as things have e-commerce has cooled a little bit? Yeah. So um, we definitely felt that cooling, you know, we sell more durable equipment. So, you know, people go to purchase a pour over kettle and a filter or a French press, you know, once every few years. And so what happened was in 2020 was all of that demand for those products got pulled forward, you know, by five years or whatever uh, into 2020. And since then, you know, things have cooled off. And so we knew going into it that, that, you know, that could definitely be a reality. And so the, the, play and kind of the way to mitigate that on paper was to, you know, spin up other product lines, um, like coffee where we have, you know, more recurrent revenue and, um, we have something that's more consumable and repeatable from a buying perspective. And so that's, that's what we launched, um, earlier this year and are spinning that up. So, so I think that'll help a lot, uh, once we get that kind of at full speed. So. Cool. Well, I want to, um, just, we need to be aware of the time and I want to, we have a lot to cover, yeah. but before we move off of uh, barista warrior, tell me uh, quickly about like the process of getting an SBA loan for digital business. Can you and actually, could and, and also any numbers you're willing to share, like if you can get specific on revenue and profit and what you acquired it for, please. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So the process of getting SBA is just, it was just a matter of talking to a lot of lenders and in late 2019, there were, I talked to a lot of lenders who were, wouldn't touch digital and specifically wouldn't touch like SaaS or, um, um, FBA businesses, models. Yeah. And in e-commerce. So they were barista warriors, FBA. Yes. Correct. Yep. And so the, the real worry there was just the lack of, uh, hard assets backing the liability on the business. As in, you know, you go to buy uh, an e-commerce business and the only hard asset you have is the inventory in the business. There's really, the rest all goes to goodwill. And so, you know, that on paper for them is, is a hard pill to swallow. Come turn the year in 2020, that all changed and perspectives and mindsets around lending changed. Um, part of that was more at macro um, in that the government was backing a lot more uh, of SBA loans. The CARES Act gave out a lot of um, incentives for SBA. And so, yeah. um, so that message changed a lot and a lot of lenders got on board. And so, yeah, that process, it takes a little while. So you have to kind of buckle down. You have to have all your ducks in a row financially, personally, and from a business perspective. So you have to make sure um, you're moving with speed and getting them what they need quickly. Otherwise it's going to drag on. And then every, every delay or in the business and the longer it takes to close the business, you know, the more likelihood there's of it kind of falling apart and you're not closing. So, so making sure you're, you're, you know, moving with speed uh, when you go through the SBA process. And how much of the purchase price, well, t- tell us if you can, what some oh, numbers yeah. about the business, then I'm going to circle back to the SBA to the, how you financed it. Yeah. So we financed it and I'm going to try and recall the the numbers. Um, so the final purchase price was 970. 970. Yep. And like I said, we put a good amount of that premium that, that came from the early COVID bump. We put that in a seller note. So we put 240,000 of, of that in a seller note. And then the rest was financed by SBA. I believe we put in 20% and then SBA footed the rest. Sorry, so, two, two, how much was it for the seller note? 240, did you say? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So about 20, let's call it 25% to the seller. And then you said you, you brought 25%? Uh, 20%. 20%. And so that yep. leaves 55% from SBA. Yep. Okay. And so you, 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 so, so if I'm 
somebody on MicroAcquire or Empire Flippers or Quiet Light, and I see a million dollar business, and I can I either have say two hundred thousand dollars in cash, or I can somehow find it maybe from private investors or friends and family. I that that could be within my um, target and a million dollar business. Yep. You yeah, know, I think this yeah, is, absolutely. I think this is what blows a lot of people's minds about acquisition entrepreneurship is that that is possible. People, I think most people see a million dollar price tag and they say to themselves, I can, I don't have a million dollars. Now, a lot, most people also don't have $200,000 in cash, <laughs> but many more people have that than have a million dollars in cash. And so, but it also sounds like a year and a half ago, it wouldn't have been financeable or it would have been much more difficult to finance, finance it. So in fact, now here we are middle of 2021 and th- the world is quite different than it was a year and a half ago in terms of financing a digital business. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I, I definitely believe that. And how much, what can you tell us what the sales were? Um, well, I guess it changed a lot, but you, when yeah. you, you, know, you first negotiated and then after COVID, what did sales become? And then what were the margins of the business? Yeah. So um, pre-COVID, the margins sat around like 17%, which were pretty good for FBAs. If I remember right, when we were looking at those businesses, you know, for that time, 17 was fairly healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and the, in 2019, I think we finished the business finished, uh, 2019 at just below a million dollars in revenue. And then, you know, through the start of 2020, you know, the, the first half of 2020, uh, I think, uh, revenue jumped to like almost 650, thousand, um, for the first half. And then, uh, you know, it just got better and better from there. And I think we, we, we finished 20, 20, 2020, uh, with 1.7 in revenue and 35% on average margin. So it, margin expansion was very dramatic in 2020, which was very healthy and great for us because we were able to, you know, reserve a lot of cash, um, kind of during that time. So. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. Okay. And so, uh, so then you finance it with SBA, about 55% is SBA than the seller note. So are you finding that this business is, in fact, you are paying yourself a salary out of it, like a, a pretty healthy six-figure salary, and you're paying down the debt, and you've got a little money left over to invest in the business, or, a, or more than a little left over to invest in the business? Is that Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um, I didn't quit my job until the end of, um, 2019. And so, so really, you know, I was able to operate it on the side, continue through a full-time career and then finally be like, okay, you know, it's doing fairly well. Now's the time to quit and kind of go full steam, take a salary out of the business and still be able to pay off, you know, have that monthly SBA payment roll out. And so, yeah, yeah, there's, there's definitely enough reserve in the business to, continue our investment and growth and, um, you know, whether any rainy days we have, um, from a cyclical perspective in the business. So, and are you paying yourself equivalent to what you were earning at your, at your nine to five? Uh, yes. In that, um, if I take out kind of, I'm, I'm paying the, the minimum, I can't remember what, from an IRS perspective, uh, there's a way to, and, and our, our, our fractional CFO, um, is the one who really, masters this, but there's a minimum uh, salary threshold for um, entrepreneurs. And so there's a way to kind of minimize your tax, your tax bill at the end of the year by minimizing your monthly payment, but, you know, taking the rest of the distribution at the end of the year. So any cash left in the business, um, I supplement, you know, kind of my previous years or my 
future years salary that way. So just yes. as a, as a different classification, but your yep. you know, the money into your Casey's wallet at the end of the year is roughly equivalent to what you were earning. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out if, mm-hmm. you know, like how you feel about acquisition entrepreneurship, like now, now you've done it and, and it wasn't, I mean, I'm not saying it was easy to go through that whole negotiation and take ownership of the business, but you didn't, you did get to avoid the grind of starting something from scratch. And now yep. here you are entrepreneur, business owner, thriving e-commerce business and already paying in, you know, within the first year or basically immediately once you took ownership, paying yourself a salary equivalent to what you'd otherwise be earning, not as an entrepreneur. Yep, exactly. Pretty yeah, sweet. And, and what's more? <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, well, let's pivot because we, uh, again, time. So let's hear about intmath.com. Yeah. So intmath, which is short for interactive mathematics, is like you mentioned at the beginning of the interview, it's a really old um, website and property. So and it was started by a lifelong educator um, and professor out of Australia who has been teaching math pretty much his whole life um, and had, you know, had been kind of an early adopter of the Internet and programming, taught himself all of that and stood up what essentially was, you know, he digitized his math lessons that he was teaching in the classroom. And so that uh, in itself just became this this kind of content and audience generating machine that has you know snowballed over time and has um, in, it's different than a content site in that he never played any of the um, keyword stuffing games or linking backlinking games that used to be prevalent in content before Google you know would kind of comb that out of their algorithm. Mm-hmm. His was more just about putting out content that you know, that he thought was, was valuable Mm -hmm. and simplifying his lessons in a, you know, in, in a consumable way. And I think that really resonated and ended up generating a ton of backlink, um, and domain authority, um, from really credible sources like NASA and governments and tons of of really high quality pages linking to his site. And it helped him and the, and the site, whether those, you know, um, those kind of very scary uh, SEO updates that Google pushes out and, and tend to either hurt or benefit, you know, a traditional content affiliate business model. I mean, th- this is a vintage of site. That's like when people used to make sites, when the whole internet, <laughs> and the whole internet, what every single page wasn't commercialized in some way, hobbyists yeah. or people who just wanted to help would stand up sites and, you know, it'd be their weekend project. Um, I mean, of course, you still have people on the internet who, who aren't trying to make a buck, but the internet is a much, much more commercial place it was, than, it, yeah. than it was when this guy launched his thing. And I just, I mean, hearing you talk about it and, and seeing it, and people got to definitely go check it out because it looks like it hasn't been updated since this era. Um, <laughs> yeah. It just, as I said at the, at the top, it just reminds me of when I first got on the internet and what the internet was like. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, even the images in some of the old lessons, you know, like are just, they even those have like pictures of cars or something. And it's from that area, era <laughs> in the, you know, in the late nineties that it just brings you back like, Oh, wow. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, that's, that's old school. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And, and like I said, it's, but it's, you know, it's, it's been able to weather, you know, all of the algo updates that, and, and kind of the growing up that Google did, uh, in that time frame, and has yep. you know just continued to climb and snowball and, and compound in, in audience. So it's been it's been great to see. And, um, and he really monetized excited. it very simply and passively. He just put some Google AdSense on there, so it's just there's a banner spot and 
it generates yep. a, trick, a trickle of revenue. Yep, exactly. And so that's the thesis behind this one and why I'm so excited about this, this um, business is the, the audience is huge. It's, it's 12 million a year. Oof. And yeah, and it's monetized in probably the most um, inefficient way uh, via ads. And so, which are annoying and just destroy user experience. And so, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you kind of comb out some of that 12 million because a lot are probably bouncing um, when they see, you know, when they're just barraged by, um, by all these ads. And so the, the plan is to, to really dig in, get a, a census from the, the audience and do some, um, some real customer discovery around, you know, what are the problems and needs that, you know, these 12 million, 12 million users have that are all probably common that, you know, fit the, the, uh, math niche that, you know, we could probably solve for them. So, yeah. um, so I've already started digging in and have kind of found some signal through the noise, which I think is really interesting. So, and then just utilizing, you know, I, I, the founder is still a part of the business as a consultant. And so, um, just picking his brain and using his, his experience and expertise as a sounding board has been really valuable because, you know, he's obviously thought about it a lot as well. So he did, he did think about monetization some. Yeah. And he, and, and yeah, I remember he's a, you know, he's a lifelong um, educator. So he comes at every problem from the academic perspective. And so, mm-hmm. you know, his answer has always been like, well, let's just, let's put more higher quality content out there. Let's make this, you know, really complex math problem. Let's solve it really simply. Mm-hmm. And he's always had a, a, a you know, a full-time career in academia. So he's never had to, you know, pull the plug on that to support himself full-time with the business, um, and with the website. And so he's never really, you know, never really committed a bunch to testing out, you know, some of the things that he's thought or hasn't thought would work. So, so that's where we're kind of, you know, using that, that those, that list of items, plus, you know, marrying that with what I think is possible and figuring out what can be tested and what, you know, what's an MVP of, of some, you know, some simple solution to see if there's any, any demand there. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know much about the education space, but we all know that education is more virtual by the year again, especially with COVID. So another another kind of COVID tailwind there. Um, and I and I know I think we talked about this in a previous conversation that there's some giant YouTube channels of people solving math problems. So there's yeah, there's there's eyeballs there. I mean, clearly, 12 million users a year, a million a month. That's uh, that's a lot of people. This is a classic case of like you just see the value in, a, in an audience, in a long-standing audience. It's a site with 20, 23 mm-hmm. or 24 years behind it. You don't know how you're going to monetize it, but you're confident that with that critical mass of traffic, you can do, you'll figure something out. That's kind of your, yeah. you're, you're taking a bit of a risk, but it's like, it feels like not that big of a risk because you know that there's money in education and the, the size of the audience is just so vast. Yeah, exactly. And I bought it based on trailing 12 of what I know it's going to earn and what, you know, it earned in probably a down year for the business from a traffic perspective. If I look, you know, even because it has the the longevity to look back even further. And in 2020, there was definitely a decrease in, in traffic because, you know, kids weren't as uh, they weren't in, in class. They schools were canceled. There were big gaps in education across the board and, and internationally. And so this year, there's definitely a bigger push to get back in the classroom. And so I'm hoping this year will be, you know, will be better for, for us. Cause it just definitely has seasonality in that, you know, it, the traffic it definitely, you know, mirrors the school year kind of globally. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And so you bought it for 12, 12 months trailing revenue. 
and a down year. And it's AdSense that he was monetizing with? Um, the the original owner was, was um, the professor was monetizing with AdSense. The, and, and I should have mentioned it was acquired by a kind of boutique private equity firm who, who, who manages educational content sites. They simply swapped out AdSense and went to AdThrive, which, you know, is kind of just that alone had, you know, had a dramatic improvement in terms of um, RPMs and all the metrics that go along with how efficiently you're, you're capturing ad revenue um, per eyeball. And then they just sat on it, focusing on other things. And so, so I came along, they listed the, the owner, the sole owner listed on um, micro acquire. And that's how I found it. Mm-hmm. Now, now is that competitive? Because it seems like a great buy. And so, yeah. it, you know, were you up against other buyers? Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I, so for other deals that I was looking at my own micro acquire, I think we talked about this before. Like it, it's, it feels a little bit like the wild west. Um, yeah. it's, an, it's an unmanaged marketplace. So, and it, and it's an unmanaged marketplace for very high ticket things. And so, yeah. so it, it is a bit wild west and everybody who starts a business, you know, they see their, they see their business as, you know, the next, you know, or they want it to be that next Facebook or whatever, you know, that thing that is getting a ton of VC attention and getting incredible, you know, they're reading about multiples and business valuations for startups all the time in TechCrunch. And so, you know, they're saying, Oh, well, that's 10 X of revenue. I'm going to apply that to my business. And totally. And the reality is, you know, in small business acquisition and even micro business acquisition, like the, you know, the economies of scale just don't apply. You know, they're just, they, they size down of course. At, at the yeah. lower end of the market. And so, you know, expectation setting was always something I was fighting against. And, you know, I talked to founders and who were selling their business and a lot of them were like, Oh yeah, I've, I've already got you know, on evaluation, I think would be crazy. And someone would be like, Oh yeah, I've already got like three offers above that. I'm like, wow. Okay. (laughs) I'm I'm either, you know, looking at this completely wrong or, or, um, or there are people out there that are just completely crazy. This one, I ended up talking to Nick, um, who had owned it and then ended up getting distracted by other, other deals, didn't pursue any of those eventually. And then circle back was like, Hey, are you still, you know, what's the deal with that math? And, he was like, well, I was just about to list it with a broker. And so, so that, you know, that's where we kind of picked it back up and I ended up, um, you know, picking it up from him. So Casey, why, why did you acquire a second business when, you know, you had Barista Warrior and it, it was going gangbusters and you'd also just, not just, but, you know, relatively recently quit your job to go full-time as an entrepreneur, acquisition entrepreneur. Why another business and not take those same resources and put them into um, barista warrior. Yeah. I I think it kind of goes back to just portfolio theory and, you know, all of the things I've, I've, you know, I've, I've taken note of in terms of the dynamics of running a private equity portfolio of companies, it's really just diversifying revenue, uh, and diversifying cash flow. I mean, so, you know, the e-commerce and content models, um, from a business perspective are very different in their unit economics. Um, right. So, uh, and when you have a business like Barista Warrior that's growing very aggressively, it can be a cash monster because every, you know, you're you're trying to keep pace with inventory that's flying out the door by making big, you know, inventory purchases that you're then, you know, sucking in, uh, sitting, you know, and putting an ear tag on, um, in working capital that just ties up that cash. And so, so you know, we're working with at the bottom end, you know, thirty to seventeen percent margins. 
on the flip side of that, in a different model, in the content model, and in you know, in math, the margins were like ninety five percent net. And so it's just a very, very different dynamic improvised. And it's just a, a, a business that has a lot more free cash flow um, that allows for, you know, a, a bunch of different interesting things. And so having those two kind of diversify each other, I think was, um, what was what interested me the most. Um, and we looked at, we looked at content businesses. Um, we almost acquired a content business in the coffee space. Um, at the beginning of the year, that deal ended up falling through, but, um, regrettably, but, but that would have been kind of, you know, I think the, one of the, the, the secret sauce econ plays, um, that you, you hear about more and more now with all of the media businesses kind of turning into e-commerce businesses and vice versa. So, yeah, yeah, sure. So are you still on the hunt for a, a content business around, around espresso and coffee and coffee equipment? No, not anymore. Hands are full. Is, yeah, exactly. MF has has put it at us at a capital and mental capacity for now. So, yeah. um, really, just going to focus on those two and and see what we can do there, and then you know take it day by day. Cool. Well, I want to now. So you've been, you're very recent. You're relatively recent to the acquisition game, but you've done two acquisitions, yeah. gotten a lot of experience under your belt in a short amount of time. So I want to kind of throw some hypotheticals at you. Say you're talking to somebody who wants to buy a digital business. Um, any of the kind, the two that you've acquired, either content or e-commerce or SaaS or what have you. And let's take it through three different levels of how much money they have to spend, and, and maybe what you might advise them to to, to do. Not not yeah. like the whole playbook, but just like what, how should they start thinking about their, their, how they should approach this? So I have, say I have 10,000 bucks in cash and I want to buy a business. What would you, a digital business, what would you tell that person? Yeah, I I think, well, and and just preface all of that with no matter what, I think you should start by starting something from scratch and just learning from experience of what in the business model you ultimately either want to acquire or you're interested in. And I think that alone will give you a ton of expertise around um, whether you you have, you know, the skill set and the confidence to then ultimately go and acquire. And so, it, 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 and like I said, it can be exhausting for sure, but um, it's an incredible education Okay. in doing. And then, yeah, kind of laddering up. So, so the $10,000 person, you might say, start something. Yeah, maybe invest in yourself a little bit yeah. um, at that okay. level. Okay. So now let's take a $50,000 person, somebody who's got 50K in, in cash. Yeah, that's where you start to feel a little bit more leverage. And, you know, at that point and, it, and with that amount of equity, you can start to find partners, investment partners, and kind of go through that, what's now called the search fund model, which is, you know, I'm either a seasoned entrepreneur or I'm a seasoned, uh, you know, what, whatever management consultant, and I want to get into entrepreneurship through acquisition. And you can use 50 grand. And I, I know a bunch of searchers who are doing that to, you know, that's their investment into a multi-million dollar business that they're ultimately going to operate. And so they brought on uh, investors who will, in, who will essentially provide the gap equity that's necessary to then go to SBA or, a mezzanine lender or somebody, some lender to then provide the rest and the bulk of, you know, the acquisition. So I have $50,000. I, I um, am going to finance a big, so you're suggesting buy a business of some size, you know, a million mm-hmm. dollar business or multi hundreds of thousands of dollars or even, or even north of a million. 
and but to get the to finance that with SBA, but I'm still going to need 20, 10 or 20 ish percent for that. So that's 200, $250,000 in cash I'm going to need. So I take my 50 and I find investors to get me to 250 in cash. And then I, and then the remainder is going to come from the SBA. And so you think that somebody with that amount of money should go that path as opposed to say, buying a $50,000 business they see on microacquire in cash. I, I mean, it's, it, it just depends, right? Um, there's, there's certainly a founder or operator and business fit that needs yeah. to happen. And so, yeah. you know, if you're, if you spent your career in, in, in healthcare finance and you see a healthcare finance micro SaaS business that you think has a ton of potential on microacquire that, you know, for less than 50 grand or 50 grand, like that might be an opportunity. You know, you yeah. may see like just levers that you can pull immediately based on what the experience you have, you know, in that business. And so, um, what I'll say though, is, you know, and one, one, one statistic that really stuck with me as I made the shift from entrepreneur to, um, acquire is, I, I don't know where, I, where I read it, but uh, you know, it, the statistic goes something like 90% of startups fail, which we all hear. Yep. Um, but 80% of acquired businesses are successful and continue to grow and, and, um, have a, a, a much, much higher success rate. And so, wow, that's powerful. I'd not heard that. Exactly. And so and I think that's the 80% comes from the SBA. And so, mm-hmm. you know, th- because they only invest in, in businesses that have, uh, the longevity of revenue to show and the history of revenue to show it, it's been successful and it's, you know, it's going to continue its success more, more likely than not. And so, and so I think it's, I think it's important to, to keep that in mind. And I think there's, there's some sort of threshold and asymptote around um, a business reaching critical mass post that startup phase where it starts to have a um, higher and higher chance of success. Um, and I think it's around that million dollar revenue mark. Um, I think once okay. a business surpasses that the statistics in favor of that business continuing and growing and, um, not going back to zero are much, much higher than below that threshold. And so, so once you get to the $250,000 mark in terms of your investment, again, you can apply leverage to really, you know, invest in something that's higher quality. And, and, you know, that means just more EBITDA, more cash flow, um, higher revenue, and as you decrease your investment, you know, you just introduce, there's just more risk of, of it potentially, you know, kind of reverting back to zero, um, yeah. unless you're that person that is, you know, going to step in and make it go, you know, to a hundred. It's counterintuitive. Cause it's like, you know, you think the smaller the investment, the, the less risky it is. But as you said, the, 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 the higher the purchase price or the more revenue there is in a business that you're acquiring, the more expensive the business is. Often, very crude, crude uh, rule of thumb here, but often the higher quality actually the business is. I remember one of my guests from a few weeks ago who, who acquired a translation agency and then has subsequently done another 10 or 11 acquisitions. His wow. first acquisition, he bought a million dollar translation agency and he didn't have a lot of money. He actually had about 50,000 euros in his bank accounts in Germany. And he was really intimidated by buying a million dollar business, it's like a million dollars, you know? And, and I understand that. I'm not trying to, to downplay that. I haven't acquired a business of a million dollars, but he, you know, one of his pieces of advice to people was he, he try, really try to push through that. Don't be reckless. We're not saying go out here and take a loan for a million dollars or buy a million dollar business that you can't handle. But it, these numbers are, are really, are going to be big for most, more, most normal people. And he just recognized that that kind of fear factor slowed him down a little bit. And once he got mm-hmm. comfortable 
uh, and acquired this relative, you know, high quality business that had been around for decades. Now he, he just accelerated through multiple, multiple acquisitions subsequently because he became comfortable. Um, He knew what quality was and he, and he was willing to pay for it and take a loan for it. So it's interesting. It's just an interesting um, psychological development that one needs to go through. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally agree. Cool. Now, now you're somebody who has $250,000 in the bank, which, you know, um, probably the advice is similar to to the $50,000 person, or, or would you say maybe don't get the investors just, just go, you know, with that amount of money in your own pocket, you can finance, um, a business yourself and it's just you and the SBA. Yeah. I mean, that's in, and now that's certainly more of a reality um, than it was when, when I was, you know, searching for our first one. Now you can, in some cases, legitimately apply, you know, a 10 X lever to that and buy a 250, you know, ha- pay 250 million to, to, to 2.5 million, excuse me, yeah, yeah. for a business and put down 250,000. I've, I've seen, I've seen offering memos come out where, you know, they're saying it's pre SBA pre-qualified, and the, the down payment is 10%. And those are recon businesses that have been around a long time. Um, and SBA, you know, now with the handcuffs off from a, a governance perspective are saying they're more in, and, and the SBA preferred lenders being more, more open for an appetite of risk in those transactions in the, in digital transactions, uh, they're willing to lend more. And so, yeah, this is prices are going to, I mean, we we're all talking about how prices have already yeah. been going up. And so as lending becomes looser, that, that phenomenon will just only accelerate in e-commerce yep. and SaaS and digital businesses. Yeah. Casey, what, um, what, when you were getting started on your path or now or whatever, like what, what resources, two or three resources would you recommend to a beginner who wants to buy a digital business? It can be anything, but it's something to learn with. What would you recommend? Yeah, I, I'm a big reader. So I, I love just, you know, finding high quality evergreen books that have always been around, around entrepreneurship and, and acquisition. And so the two I'd recommend there would be, um, Walker Dibble's buy then build. Um, yep. I, I read that and finished it. And then we found Bruce Warrior, and it turns out he was actually the broker on the deal. And so I got to know Walker very well. And he and I are friends now, great guy. And then the other one I would recommend, um, is entrepreneurial finance by Steven Rogers. This was actually required reading. It was, it's, it's a textbook for the ETA class um, at Northwestern. Steve Rogers used to teach that class. I think he moved to Harvard, but anyway, it's, it's a great book on just foundational finance for um, acquiring and running a small business. Um, and so that you know, that's a, um, that's a great resource. Is that a, is that like a traditional text? Because by then build Walker Dibble's book is like a book book that they use as a textbook, but it's entrepreneurial yeah. finance, like a traditional textbook with like a hard cover and I'm yep. not going to find it. It's going to be a little harder to find or more expensive. Yeah, definitely. And you'll find it on like Chegg or, you know, one of the, right. um, uh, one of those sites there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's out there and it, yeah, it is a little more expensive. Um, but it is honestly an amazing resource. Okay. Cool. Which I really love. And I, I have it bookmarked and I have it on my desk open all the time. So that's cool. great. But other than that, I, you know, I think, I think your podcast, I think just listening to podcasts and listening to other stories, I think it's great. I'm a big believer in reaching out talking to people who've done it and learning from their experience. And, you know, you guys do a great podcast, Quiet Light, I think does a great podcast around bringing in all of the um, different service providers around, uh, you know, a digital acquisition transaction. And um, so you get to understand, uh, you know, pre during the search phase, you know, what that's like, 
during the transaction, what that's like legal, financial, all of that. And then kind of post, you know, what are some, some activities to grow a business? I think they do a good job of, of putting that info out there. Okay. And then, yeah, you know, anything and all things just related to micro and private equity and searchfunder.com, I think has been a great community for me and just connecting with people like yourself, yeah. you know, so we met searchfunder.com um, for sure. Yep. Hey, yeah. Casey. So I'm curious, you took that ETA class at Northwestern. Um, and so, you know, that has a particular, I'm sure that has a particular flavor, as you said, like a lot of those, those businesses that were featured were sweaty businesses, offline businesses, services, businesses. So I'm curious though, like now that you've become an acquisition entrepreneur in the digital space, do you think that a lot, any, a lot or anything from what you learned in that class is applicable to the digital world or is it too, are all the principles the same or is in fact, or is it in fact quite different? No, I think all the principles are the same. The multiples are different. Um, yeah. because the scale of a digital business is different from the scale of, you know, a physical business with a physical location in a geo, the, the, uh, outside of that, the unit economics from, you know, between the two are the same and the financial principles you have to apply and rigor, you have to apply to both, uh, you know, to either is, is exactly the same. And so, yeah. um, foundationally, I think, you know, it is, they're, they're identical, um, and you need to, you know, you need those principles will certainly help you in the digital world. Um, cause at the end of the day, you're just running a business that's you're selling product to or services to, or something to a consumer. And you just, you know, you have to, you have to be a good, a good business operator. Like as if you were running, you know, the corner store down the block from where you live. Um, sure. same thing. Cool. Well, let's leave it there, Casey. This was a great cool. conversation. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. And, thanks for having uh, me. Well, I really appreciate let- it. Let's circle back around and I'm I'm really eager to to discover what you do with these 12 million eyeballs who are who are looking up math problems on a on a 24-year-old site. That's gonna be fun to watch. Yeah, it's exciting to dig into. Cool. Good deal, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. See ya. 